0: Welcome back to Apocalypse, The Coming Judgment, Episode 11. This is Dennis Laravia, and we're going to start on Episode 11 of Apocalypse, The Coming Judgment. As we go through this, I know you're going to realize that the judgments are becoming much more severe and fast-acting as we proceed so what we'll do is we'll um, move from the 144,000 um, Hebrew Christians and go right on into the messages of the three angels. So we'll pick up there with Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, and read the rest of that chapter and then discuss that and go further as we have time today. In chapter uh, 14 of Revelation, verse Six. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen. Fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. Poured full strength into the cup of his anger, And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia that completes the reading of chapter 14 and we'll discuss it well let's look at the um, breakdown of what's going on here in chapter 14 and very very powerful imagery here Uh, the proclamation of the three angels in Revelation 14, 6 through 13. It says, Another angel flying in the midst of heaven, the highest and brightest point where all can see and hear what is happening. So apparently, from looking at these passages, these angels are seen by people all around the world. And the keeper of the gospel the angel is charged with the preaching of the good news worldwide with one last attempt to change the allegiance of people from the beast to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is quite unusual because throughout time, God is dependent on people uh, delivering the gospel message. But here is actually an angel who is preaching the good news worldwide in his last attempt to help people. Um it's the, in Matthew twenty four fourteen. It says the gospel must be preached to the whole world. Then the end, the end of time, as we know it here, and in First Corinthians uh, 15, 1 through ten, uh, Paul's summary, the simplified synopsis of life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and post resurrection teaching and appearance of Christ. So, Paul. Is trying to make it as simplified as possible. And we know that John is trying to bring this as simplified as possible to uh, the people who believe this and read this to prepare people for the last days. It also says, Proclaim with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. One last appeal to turn to the creator, not an imitation or would-be God. And there's a number of scriptures that we could look at. I'm going to give you a few. First John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us from all our sin. Acts 14, verses 15 through 17. Paul and Barnabas denounce the worship of men, worship only the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 17, verses 23 through 28, Paul denounced intellectualism in Athens, acknowledge only the supremacy and sovereignty of God. And you know well at this point in time that intellectualism or humanism is one of the main things we fight. People want to do their own thing, want to believe whatever they want to believe, regardless of the consequences. And it's very dangerous because we know that God only requires us to worship him and will not accept us worshiping anyone else. All false religion has Satan as as its father, whether it's uh, apparently or openly a cult, cultic religion, humanism, intellectualism, or whatever. So the second angel here in uh, chapter 14 Proclaim, Babylon is fallen! Is fallen the great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Uh, this is a reference to the collapse of the entire worldwide political, economic, and religious system or kingdom of, of the Antichrist, and we'll deal a little bit more with that in Revelation 16 verses 17 through 19. The original city, city of Babylon was the birthplace of idolatry. As you recall, the residents built the Tower of Babel, a monument to rebellion and false religion. You can look at Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, for God's answer on rebellion and false religion, and we know that that's when he uh, stopped people from speaking one tongue and made many tongues, and the the people left this Tower of Babel, which was... Uh, the height of intellectualism and self-worship. The picture, wine of the wrath of her fornication, refers to the intoxication of the world promoted by the sensual, financial, and pleasurable approach to life pushed by worldwide Babylon, thus pushing people to idolatry and spiritual prostitution. And that's the religion that is truly the opiate of the people. Uh, Joseph Stalin said "The religion, uh, that religion is the opiate of the people. In false religion, that is probably true. It is the opiate of the people. Believe, people believe whatever they want to. And then we go into this third angel who proclaimed, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Uh, The smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, whoever worships the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So under no circumstances should we ever want to to worship the beast, his image, or receive the mark of the beast? The, um, the question has been thrown out, you know, as we approach these end times. Well, oh, what if you see that your family is starving to death and you cannot receive food without the mark of the beast? And I'm saying clearly from looking at the scriptures, it's much better for us to be resolved to the fact that death is a blessing for those who choose Christ. Because if you choose to take the mark of the beast to, quote, save your children from dying of hunger or your grandchildren from dying of hunger, then you have doomed yourself forever to be in torment and probably the children and grandchildren too. So we don't want to go that route. The um, outpouring of God's wrath is obviously a well-thought-out plan of vengeance in God's perfect time to bring justice that only a righteous God can provide. We can look at some other verses for more background, and I'll give you some of those. Psalm 75, verse 8, talks about judgment on the wicked. Isaiah 51, 17 says that God will judge evil. Jeremiah 25, verses 15 and 16 says that God will not tolerate the wicked forever, and he will judge them. Genesis 19, verses 24 through 25, God's judgment came down particularly on Sodom and Gomorrah and the other villages of that area because of their absolute refusal to honor God and to seek homosexuality and intellectualism as their religion. Isaiah 34, verses 8 through 10, talks about judgment on evil, particularly worldly, choices, and the rest of the world, particularly Edom in this case. The um, eternity of hell or the lake of fire is validated very significantly in chapter 14. And pretty scary. If you don't know Christ, I would certainly want to get to know him really quick after looking at this passage. Uh, another set of scriptures, it talks a little bit about judgment and punishment on evil on people who reject Christ. And you will talk to people and they say, well, I haven't really received Christ, but I haven't rejected him. Well, if you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have rejected him. And whether you will have an opportunity to do that at some other time, I couldn't say. Matthew 3.12 talks about the separation of Christians from pagans. And pagan is anybody who rejects Christ as their Lord and Savior. Matthew 13, verses 41 and 42 talks about Jesus Christ's judgment on the lawless, and that's all who reject God's way. Not saying they couldn't be nice people here on earth, but if they reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in God's way, then they're pagans. Matthew 25, verse 41, talks about judgment on those who are disobedient to the word of God, and that's people who, through intellectualism or humanism, reject God's word as truth. Mark 9, verse 48, talks about the forever torment for those who disobey God. So I really, looking at this, is a very, very powerful message for us to give to our family and friends. Who would want to spend forever in torment? Just to say, I did my own thing here on earth. That's the real question I have. A fourth proclamation is a voice from heaven who said to John, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. And this is a special reward for those who endure all manners of difficulties on this earth, but who refuse to worship the beast and Satan. Uh, Validation from the Spirit, yes, that they may rest from their labors and their works will follow them. Another comment, the great attribute of the saints of God is to obey the Lord keep his commandments, and abide in faith in Jesus Christ no matter what the challenge is. And that's probably as we live more and more of the challenges we have today, to turn aside from doing our own thing and seeking to please the world, but seeking to please only the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, a reminder to us, looking at this, always, always, always persevere. Romans 8, verses 31 through 39, talks about the love of Christ should encourage us to persevere. Philippians 1, verse 6, says Christ finishes what he starts. Jeremiah 32, verse 40, Christ is faithful to those who are faithful to him. Matthew 24, 13, talks about the absolute necessity of endurance or perseverance. John 6, verses 35 through 40, says that we should persevere in Christ. Uh, Interesting story is um, I got to work with Dr. Al Hood, who was a missionary in Africa and also in Thailand. Uh, The communists kicked him out of Rhodesia. He and his wife, after they had been there only three years, they had worked with some of the local people, and there were about 30 believers when the Communists kicked them out. They really wanted to go back in, but were not allowed. And was several years later, they were able to go back in and they found the true story of what had happened. After they left, the Christians, and there were only about 30 there in Rhodesia where they left, continued to worship together, sing songs, study the Bible, encourage one another. The local... uh, commissar of the communism in that area said, why don't you do something to those people? And so they jailed them. The jailer came back to the commissar and said, these people are driving me crazy. They keep singing and are happy. The jailers are getting saved. What should I do? He said, do whatever you want to either kill them or let them go, but don't, don't persist in, in uh, letting them do that. So he let them out. And, uh, we find that several years later when Dr. Hood and came back in to see them, that there weren't 30 believers anymore. There were over 300. Under this severe oppression, they had grown tenfold. So we should always remember to persevere. In John 10, verses 27 through 30, uh, Jesus' sheep listened to him and obey him. Also, we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 John 5, verse 4, 11 through 13 and verse 20 talks about that true faith is determined by those who persevere and believe in Jesus Christ, no matter what the challenges are. In the last part of uh, Revelation chapter 14, and we'll look at verses 14 through 16 first, the son of man is described as sitting on a white cloud, had a golden crown on his head, which referred to him as the judge and the chief of the reapers. He held a sharp sickle in his hand. The proclaiming angel came out of the temple in heaven, right from the presence of God the Father, proclaim, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The Son of Man and the other reaper reaper angels used the sickle to reap the earth, bringing in many unbelievers. Um, In verses 17 through 20 in chapter 14, talks about reaping the grass of the grapes of wrath. The first angel also had a sharp sickle. he was in the heavenly temple of God and he reaped the unbelievers. On the second angel he had power over fire. This angel had responsibility over representing the prayers of the saints. Uh, as you know, the uh, priests were responsible for offering incense twice a day to God. And this reference to the the fire over fire uh, refers to the fact that this angel is responding, as God tells him, because of the prayers of the saints. He is ensuring that the judgment is forthcoming to honor the faithful prayers of martyred saints in heaven. And he instructed the first angel to begin reaping also. Response of the first angel at the end of the tribulation is to begin to reap on the earth. The wrath of God is unleashed. The winepress outside the city was overflowing with blood up to the horse's bridles. So the blood was about four feet deep for over 184 miles, which is the approximate distance from Armageddon in the north of Palestine to Edom in the south. This great battle would rage across this huge area in reference to a huge bloodbath of the enemies of God who still live in the plain of Esdraelon, The carnage will be outside the city of Jerusalem, not inside, and to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. I've actually, by the grace of God, been able to see this plain. It's a wide plain, and this area will be where the battle of Armageddon will take place. And let's look at some of the scriptures, because this is the last of the... Uh, of the judgments on the people who, who have rejected Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 63, verses 2 and 3, it says Jesus' robe is stained with the blood of the army of the Antichrist. In Lamentations 1, verse 15, Jesus crushes the army of Babylon, the final Antichrist armies. In Ezekiel 39, verses 8 through 16, it discusses the burning of the weapons, the seven years of fuel, the seven months to bury the armies of the Antichrist, and the beginning of the millennial reign. So this is predicted throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Ezekiel 39, verses 17 through 20, it talks about the great feast of victory and that the uh, animals and the birds will be eating the armies of the Antichrist. Joel 3, verses 12 through 17, talks about judgment and the readiness for the sickle to reap evil and produce God's judgment on all those who oppose him, who disobey him and refuse to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1 through 15 says, Armageddon is on the plain of Estrelon, the final part of the day of the Lord. So we can see that these are difficult times, and they're going to be more difficult. The Christians are going to have to endure many abuses, but they will be greatly rewarded. The people who have succumbed to the fornication of spiritual idolatry, who have followed the world, who received the mark of the beast, will be tormented forever. And you know, the question, you know, people ask, Well, what if God forgave and let people live and do what they wanted? Would that be just? Well, let's look at some of the scriptures that deal with that. Psalm nineteen nine, the Lord's way is righteous. In Nahum, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, the Lord is mighty and will not clear the guilty. Psalm 66, verse 4, all the earth will ultimately worship the Lord. Isaiah 66, 23, all the earth will worship the Lord. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Isaiah 66, verse 24, as a reminder of disobedience and rebellion toward God, go out to see the burning corpses of the lost in the valley of Hinnom or Gehenna. So God has a plan. You know, we're not in charge. God gives people a free choice to receive Christ as Lord and Savior or reject him. And he talks about what will happen in these last days. So we'll stop here and go back and look at chapter 15, or at least part of it in this episode, and go from there. Well, let's look at uh, the scripture in chapter 15, because this talks about the prelude to the final bowl judgments. I'll read that. First, and then we'll discuss the judgments. In chapter 15, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass, mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image, And the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy, all nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed." After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So we look at chapter 15 as sort of an interlude and a preparation for the final, final, final judgment. And uh, as we look at that, let's talk about the great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with seven last plagues which will complete the wrath of God. This is another interlude with imagery in heaven and not on earth. These seven bowls of wrath will complete the seven year tribulation and conclude the wrath of God in a rapid fire staccato fashion. Each bowl will be stronger in fury and intensity and conclude the seventh seal at the seventh trumpet. Now, Keep in mind this is not a bowl like you're going to eat cereal. I would call it more of a saucer. So it's a tilt and open. It's not going to be It's not going to take long to empty this bowl or saucer as we go through this. Uh, The sea of glass is mingled with fire. The victors over the beasts are standing on the sea of glass. That's the victors that are singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. That's believers that have endured the torment on earth during this period of time. Verses 3 and 4 refer to the song of deliverance in Exodus 15, verse 1 through 21, and Deuteronomy. Verse, uh, chapter 32, verses 1 through 43. There's also reference to the holy and righteous character of God, which requires righteous judgment, as noticed in Psalm 19, 9, and Nahum 1 through, Nahum chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. And we've already read those, and also his plan to install his king in the millennial kingdom on earth and bring the elect from all around the earth to worship him, as noticed in the other scriptures I gave you in Psalm 66, and Philippians 2. It's important again that we realize as we think through this, uh, it's easy to think softly that this is a horrible judgment. Yes, it is. But it's a judgment that people bring on themselves by the rejection of the truth from the one true and holy and perfect God. Uh, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven talks about the seven angels with the seven last plagues. Angels are clothed in pure bright linen holy representing representing holiness and purity. The chests are girded with golden bands representing riches, royalty and untarnished go- glory. The seven angels give seven golden bowls uh, or s- shallow saucers as we talked about to impute a quick emptying, not a slow pouring as if from a deeper dish, as a bowl full of the wrath of God by one of the four living creatures. The temple in heaven was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the temple in heaven until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So, hopefully we understand from chapters 14 and 15 that God is a perfect and righteous God. He has made a perfect payment for our sinfulness through the, the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. He expects everyone to come to blows with the fact that they either accept Christ and live for Him and obey Him or they go to the lake of fire forever torment. So as we look at these last days, I, I look at it as a time of graciousness that God ends the stupidity of the choices of nations and peoples on this earth by bringing things to a close. And people either have to accept Christ or reject Christ so that things stop at this point in time. Thank you. We'll move on with our next episode next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you have any questions or comments, please email to D-A-L-A-R-A-V-I-A at gmail.com. D-A-L-A-R-A-V-I-A at gmail.com. And we would appreciate any comments or suggestions.